Today we had the opportunity to talk to Michael Callahan. Oh, yeah, that was so awesome to meet another comedy and magic nerd that uh, gigs in town was so awesome. And then he gets to talk to Teller on the phone. That's like a dream of mine. It was uh, awesome, especially after seeing him at our show and getting to produce the uh, upcoming Quick Wits episode, uh, just to be able to chat long for him. So uh, we hope you enjoy the episode. Yeah. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the TF Cast. I'm your host, Willis Stout, and uh, yeah, excited for today. Hey, Grum here. The date is March 8th, 2023, here in the Solarium. And I am your host, Jacob Bases. Today with us, we have comedian and magician Michael Callahan, who is a recent addition to our Quick Wits uh, comedy series. Michael, if you could uh, just introduce yourself to the audience and let people know where you're coming from. Well, thank you, Jacob. My name is Michael Callahan. I am uh, old enough to be any of one of your fathers, and I have been doing magic my my magic is old enough to be any of your fathers. Uh, and then I started doing comedy when my wife was in graduate school in Missouri and uh, didn't expect to get to perform as a comedian, words only. I always thought I was just trying to get better at magic, but uh, mm. ended up getting to do that too. So yeah, do magic, do comedy. What was the transition from it, going from comedian like to accept I mean, magician to accepting that you're also going to do stand-up comedy. The acceptance was money. <laughs> oh, that works for me, too. Uh, you know, I, I guess um, when I went into the open mic thing, I didn't, the comedy world, I didn't, it wasn't that I wouldn't have loved to have done that and been a comedian. I honestly just didn't think that I, I would have had the ability. So the fact mm. that uh, I got to start to get to do that and be a paid comic and, and work on that pretty seriously for three to five years was a lot of fun. And then ultimately the commitment was such that that's, that's what really brought me back to magic. One magic was always my true love, but, um, you know, when you're out there and you're doing the clubs and things, you just start to see you, you can level up, you can level up pretty quickly. And then you see, as you want to, if, if you want to start being a very serious headliner and it just it's another level of commitment as well and i've i had my first little kid come in and and my wife has a very demanding career so it was smarter to rock back into magic and and go back to the being a a carnival act <laughs> which you can sell just about anywhere <laughs> i would like to know what it was that originally got you into magic like you talk about it as your first love out of the two but yeah. uh, where did that love come from um as a child, I was a, I really love libraries, and I grew up in a town of 2,000 people in eastern Colorado. In fact, a lot of times I open the show with, uh, I say I'm from Colorado, and then I say, but, and somebody goes, woohoo, and I'm like, nope, I'm not, I'm not from that part. Uh, I'm from the part where there's pictures of billboards with babies on them, and, and the, the, mm. the billboards say, you know, before I was born, I had dreams, and I want to have my billboard that has a picture of a baby, and it says, before you were born... I had dreams, and uh, and so I, I spent a lot of time in the public library as a kid, and then a lot of time in our school libraries as a kid, and I was most attracted to the science fiction sections, and then also games and hobbies, because magic doesn't, rarely does magic get its own section, it's usually, uh, it's usually in with the games and hobbies, and so there were like four magic books that I thought were amazing, and I really didn't know, I didn't know about performance per se, but the the way a trick works, I don't know, you know, the, the young mind, if it can just, it can just fascinate you to mm -hmm. see a secret compartment or uh, <laughs> what do you mean? There's an extra card in there. That's amazing. <laughs> and so, mm. so studied it on my own. And because I was, um, because I was three hours from Denver, five hours, the other direction closest would have been six hours to Omaha. So really isolated. Uh, so spent a lot of time in my own interior world, just reading and learning and, and having no idea what it meant to to perform, um, I marvel at the at the magic scene in Minneapolis, where uh, the young people, if they get interested at, at the same age I was, they can just they can plug themselves into professional, um, actually get professional instruction, and really just ramp up um, 
and become a magician. Like you could be like, it's like, it's a viable source. You'd be like, yes, I'm going to be a magician in Minneapolis. How do I do that? It's like, well, there's the people you need to talk to. Here's what you need to start to work on. So that's amazing. What was your first, uh, Going in, was it what kind of magic were you doing? Was it like sleight of hand stuff or yes, card tricks, coin tricks, and sometimes silks because uh, there is a lot of magic written about silks. That's that's pretty much silk magic is pretty much number three. The big the big three are cards, coins, and then like silks and cigarettes and stuff. Um, of course, we don't have a lot of cigarettes around like the like we used to, but. Um, Cards are easy. Cards are everywhere. You can walk into a gas station and buy a deck of cards. They're inexpensive. You can find coins in your couch. So the stuff that's accessible and easy to get and cheap, and then you can just start to practice and dink around. And and uh, again, then you start trying stuff out, and you realize that uh, those books a lot are filled with lies. <laughs> you have to find better books. Um, <laughs> and, and then uh, and then you know. You, you think you got it and you show somebody and, and their first reaction is, yeah, it's in your other hand. Like, God damn it. How, did, <laughs> how could you possibly have known it was in my other hand? I mean, <laughs> did you read the same book? <laughs> did, you, right? did you read the same book as I did at the public library? Cause there's just the three. And <laughs> there's not more than 75 pages in either of them. Well, actually you didn't even have to read there's pictures. So whatever. Um, yeah, so now I have a personal library of close to 400 magic books, which on the scale of personal magic libraries is probably slightly above average. Uh, the people, um, my friends who are in their 20s, they almost never read magic books, which is just amazing to me. They've learned either one-on-one -on -one instruction, online instruction from paid teachers or using YouTube or using even, even actually there's professional videos you can pay, pay for, um, through places like, uh, Penguin Magic. Penguin Magic is kind of the king of online magic and magic sales. And so you can learn from video, like my, one of my best friends in magic, a young magician named Noah Sony, who went to MSU here. That's when I became friends with him. He was on Penn and Teller Foolis, I think, two seasons ago. He's a full-time touring professional magician right now. He's got a he's doing a theater in Philadelphia. Um, really cool guy. Really excellent magician. And when we started hanging out, I was so I'm 47, and so I had my you know 400 magic books, and that's where I get my information. And he largely engaged in the in the visual, like watch how this is done. Um, there's advantages to both. Um, I certainly I think that I have a, a slightly deeper, a slightly deeper catalog of ways you can do tricks and things um, because I I learned it uh, from the book learning. Plus, also when you've got books, the cool thing about book learning is you go in looking for one thing, and there's a certain spont a spontaneous random generator that happens when you have a book because that book's filled with all kinds of things that aren't algorithmically driven by what video comes next, right? Like you've just got this mm -hmm. book, you look for the one thing and you're flipping through it and then you see something that catches your eye, which could just be a drawing. You're like, what's that? And you start reading about that and you're like, oh, I didn't come here to learn that, mm -hmm. but I sure I'm glad that I did. And then it goes into the memory files and then, you know, three years later, you're like, man, I really want to make a thing of goldfish appear, which is I'm actually mm -hmm. working on that for my kid. My nine-year-old is going to, um, she's going to make some goldfish appear on next Thursday at her talent show. <laughs> and we're doing, I'm doing it. And part of the, part of the goal with the routine I worked out with her is that you can't Google it. Cause last year she did a thing that she, she broke a glass with her mind. It was amazing mm -hmm. when she was eight mm -hmm. and it took, it took the kids like about, 10 months she got back to school and finally like they're like we have no idea how you did and one kid had found online <laughs> how we did it yeah. and now he was still a little bit confused because the thing that we used to make it work uh, I disguised it. It was a, it was, it was, I, I made it look different than if you were to buy it. Mm -hmm. And so he said, well, but I don't think that was it because it didn't look right. Yeah, I was yeah. like, Oh, so this year I was thinking I'm like, okay, not only are we going to do a trick, we're going to make these goldfish yeah. appear, but this has got to be Google proof, yeah. which means that I'm digging through the 1940, that there's this English magician named Shaxon. And I've, he wrote this like 70 page book in the fifties. And I found, I found a thing in there three or four years ago that had to do with a walnut and an egg. And, and it was like, wait, 
I think I can use this thing to throw a walnut and egg to make a goldfish appear. Let's yeah. do it. These little kids will never find this. Yeah. yeah, one of my favorite routines is uh, Teller's Coins to Goldfish. Oh. I, I love that trick Have you so much. seen it live? Yeah, yeah, I have. It's so good. Yeah, and uh, he did the shadow clipping one too as well at that show. Shadows um, is part of his original set. Mm. Needles and Shadows are, are, I think they have been with him since he and Penn weren't even together yet. Oh, they were dang, part of I his original that. act, I That's believe. Awesome. Yeah, it's been around for a long time. And then uh Goldfish, which is also my favorite and also so I mean, good. Yeah, it actually steals the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It has become it has become the show the show's key piece. Uh but it's it's really it's really cool to know that that piece started when they were doing Sin City Spectacular, which was a variety show that they had on FX when I was still an undergrad, um, they did a piece called Fishing in the Sand. It was, anyway, one of the episodes, it, it used two things. The, the bit, it was a musical number, and they used Michael Jackson's lean. Michael Jackson being the only non-magician to have a magic patent. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were, yeah oh, totally, yeah, yeah, the lean. So, so they used Michael Jackson's lean, and they all did this like thing, and then they danced, and it was, it was supposed to be a desert. And at the end, there was this empty tank of water, and Teller went up, and he put his hands in and started pulling the water, and fish started appearing yeah. everywhere. Then he started working on the Miser Stream, which is the classic production of coins, yep, pulling yep. them off a spectator. And I don't know exactly when the genus, when the two ideas came together, but then he realized that if the coins that he's producing, if he threw them in a fishbowl, that would foreshadow yeah. the production of fish. And so yeah. then he starts taking the coins back into the water because he's yeah. kind of like using the water to find the coins. Yeah, and yeah. then now the coins go back into the water and become fish. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's. Yeah, he basically just out of nowhere pulls coins out of water and then puts them in, they become fish. And then at the end, there's a ton of fish that come out. Fish, so, so many good. fish. So many, it's awesome. <laughs> so many fish. It really is, it really is just, it's so good. You, is what you're doing, so, sorry, uh, is yeah. what you're doing similar to that? Uh, no. Okay. Then that's so, yeah, so that's what's so, what's so cool about it is that some so some magic plots, we call them effects, but they're plots. Like that's a pretty accessible way to to think about it. Mm -hmm. Some magical plots are so tied to the method that you almost have no freedom. Like yeah, yeah. once you know the way the trick works, that dictates the plot. Yeah, yeah. Other plots, you can have an idea like I want to produce goldfish. Yeah, yeah. And now, now you've got, okay, well... We've got so many different ways we could get this done. Some plots are the trick. You can't change one without changing the plot. Yeah. Other times you think you think yourself, I want to produce goldfish, and then um, and then you can come at it from different ways. And I'm happy to say, and so that was part of it. So I've got I've got some parameters, and I'm a big believer that the more parameters, the better the art. Uh, it's when mm. you have no limits that you're. Like I'm looking at your stuff here, and I'm like, so if I show up with a spec script, are we making a movie? Can we do that? Because like, <laughs> this is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like we have we have parameters, but we also have just enough stuff to do something mm -hmm. great. <laughs> yep. uh, so my kid is essentially going to be not surrounded, but she's the audience is pretty close. Um, she's surrounded in the sense that there's going to be people moving around her props leading up to her turn. Um, yeah, so, uh, so like something like a mirror is completely out of question. Yeah, like, yeah, so yeah. I, there's people would see that, and um, oh, I mean, if I was drinking, if I was on my second Guinness instead of my first diet Dr Pepper, I'd probably just spill it. Be like yeah, yeah. sodium pentothal. Be like, okay, here, Grom, here's yeah. how it works. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to tell you so bad. <laughs> yeah, I love that's one of my favorite ideas. When I first started reading about magic, was like like card tricks. There's only like. 30 card tricks mm -hmm. but it's like the reveal that like changes throughout it like there's only so many ways to force or hide or whatever you're trying to do with the card they say there's seven basic effects you can vanish something you can make something appear you can move something from one spot to another which is essentially a vanish and a, re a reappearance mm -hmm. you can multiply something you can float something uh which is essentially uh beating physics 
Mm-hmm. Um, you can tell somebody something that you shouldn't know, psychic, and uh, that other one that's really important that I'm not going to get to. But yeah, they, yeah, even like in the big scheme of things, there's only so many things you can do as a yeah, magician. Yeah. So then it comes down to um, why. Yeah. Why should we care? Which is why the thing, like the bit I did with you guys, essentially, all I want to do is I want you to laugh and enjoy the moment when the paper hits the shredder and it turns it into snow. Yeah. Because I think that's hilarious. But, yeah. So I, but I do Bank Night, which is a classic magic plot where you borrow money and then you have the audience choose which envelopes get destroyed and then the last envelope has the money. Yep. Basically, I paired it with Bank Night because um, if I have your money, you're going to pay attention and then I get to show <laughs> yeah. you the, the stupid thing I made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really liked your trick too because I it's really hard to do tricks with technology because it's so easy to just be like oh it's just programmed to do something but the effect the way you use it is so genuine and like a shredder is such a like basic piece of technology a basic tool so yeah i really appreciated that a lot of times when people bring out like a phone or like a screen i instantly get disinterested because it's just like showing off a program usually you're exactly right and that was deeply in vogue about five to ten years ago yeah 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 so much so many so many things that people were explaining like little tricks they figured out they could do with the calculator on an iphone where they could hit you know you hit a key sequence and it shows what was on the screen a moment Mm -hmm. or two ago and yeah there's there's a basic level of distrust and the more that you which is which is what's so interesting that magic hangs on and is kind of in a second renaissance right now is because when it's at its best it can be it can be fun to watch on TV, but that's not yeah. magic at its best. Yeah. You really need to be in the room with a good magician. Absolutely. And it is still and always will be fundamentally a very low tech art form. Yeah, yeah. Uh when I start tinkering with a new with a new trick and a new idea, and not only just low tech, um the the more simple your method, the way you finally settle on getting yeah. something done, usually the more powerful the trick becomes. Um yeah, like yeah. in uh, Spain, Mario Lopez and his crew, if you know who those people are, they use just coins, cigarettes, only that type of stuff. And they just do stuff that blows my mind. And I think the effect is so strong, just like you said, because it's just like the most basic thing ever. It is. It it really is. Uh, for For 15 years, I did a fake seance and it went from um, it went from starting in downtown St. Peter then to the historic Cox House in St. Peter, we really wanted the tagline to be "Don't be, don't be afraid of the Cox," um, <laughs> but it was paired with the Nicollet Historical Society, so we had to, <laughs> we had to kill, kill that sweet tagline. Um, and then, it, and then ultimately, it went. I, I was doing it before the pandemic up at, um, I guess, like eight years in a row up at the Ramsey Mansion in downtown St. Paul. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm saying this is because we're talking about simple methods. Yep. My fake seance with the exception of one thing, and there were only like three things that happened in the whole show over the course of nearly 40 minutes, but it was everything in there. I I was using the techniques that were 150 years old uh, that I researched and combed through and found the good stuff. So like, and the whole show culminated in getting a chalk message on a slate that all these slates have been passed out. Everybody examines them pile them in front of willis willis chooses which set of slates we use uh in the other room before we went in people had written down messages in private and sealed them up in envelopes somebody carried those in somebody chose which envelope we read the we read the question and then the answer or an answer would show up on that slate 40 minutes of buildup yeah. for that one moment yep. and it hit like a hammer yeah like yeah, a yeah. hammer uh and it was just the when you know how that thing works, you, you just, you want to rip your hair out. Well, actually, actually, I forget, at the end of the show, the seance, um, I would I would tell everybody how it works. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we would do the, which was the point every single year, every year, no matter how we marketed it, and we'd be like, listen, this is a fake seance. It's fake. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Every year we'd get to that point where I would do the the reveal, and um, later on in the, later on in the evening, um, 
especially Saturday night, late show, midnight show, you could just watch the hearts get broken because like they were the true believers and they didn't yeah, read the, yeah. it wasn't even fine print, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this isn't the real thing. I'm not going to contact the dead. Yeah. And, but yeah. they're still devastated. They're like, yeah. oh, that was a good trick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to get the ma- magic with consent. It's important. <laughs> Which is why I have a lot of trouble with Derek Del- Derek Delgadio's um, uh, in and of itself. Oh yeah, yeah. I Did know you what you're see talking it about now? Yeah. Did you guys see in and of itself? Mm-hmm. So Derek Delgadio is a uh, really, really great card magician. He spent the better part of his life uh, dealing high end poker games and making sure that whoever hired him to deal the game won. He's a true card mechanic, mm-hmm. like one of the best in the world as far as getting the cards where he needs them while he shuffles and then manipulating them to who, who is going to win the hand when it's time. Uh, And then he wrote a show, which got, uh, ultimately he worked with Frank Oz and, Oh, I think David Mamet and, um, in New York. And it was called, I'm, uh, in and of itself. And Grum, you saying magic with consent. There's a moment in the show where, he brings somebody up and there's all these letters from people and they go through and they choose a letter and it ends up being a letter. They choose without knowing which, what letter, who the letter's from. They turn over the letter, if I'm remembering correctly. And basically it's like, uh, and for me, like imagine if it was a letter from my dad, right? My dad and I don't get along very well. I mean, we, we get along fine, but we've, we've got history. Um, and imagine I open that letter and not only is it a letter from my dad, which is like, I wouldn't get a letter from my dad. Yeah, yeah. Like, what if it was a letter from my dad saying, just want you to let you know, I know we've had some rough mm. spots. Mm. Um, I apologize. Mm. And like something, something really important like that. Yeah. Mm. And these, these people, they show like, I don't know, like maybe as many as five different clips from different shows of people reading the letter and crying in front of 200 other audience members. Mm. And I'm fine with that as long as that person in that situation, when they got on stage, if Delgadio made it clear to them that he was going to put you in a potentially very emotionally yeah, triggering yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. If he did not do that, and the show does not make clear yeah, yeah. whether or not they gave consent to be their emotions become the entertainment, yep. that deeply bothered me. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and the fact that he hasn't even said, like, just so you know, no dolphins were harmed yeah, in the making yeah, of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How does he grab that information and bring it to the person at all? Is it just <sighs> mystery at this point still? Yeah, so again, I'm not exactly sure, but I because, because of what I did with the Saints, I'm willing to let you know the way I did it. Mm. Um, and the way I did it changed over the course of the 14 years doing the show because you just, you know, you have your original idea and you're like, this will be great. And then you're like, oh, that's pretty clunky actually. And then it, so what I would do is, and I'm guessing there's, there's, he uses what, what's known as some pre-show work, which is people grab these cards off a board and they do fill out some stuff. So we do know that audience members are writing things down before the show begins. Mm-hmm. Um, in this day and age, we also know that he's going to know who's buying tickets just by the amount of information you have to give when you buy your tickets. So that plus Google already puts you in a pretty significant situation as far as what you can find about, um, what I could find about you. If I Googled, you know, I could know some stuff. Um, but there's also ways you can do it on the fly. So for example, with me, I would have the people write down a question. If they could get an answer from somebody who did they know to be dead, they can write that question down on a piece of paper and then they would seal it up and then they would have, and then I would wait till all of those envelopes were sealed. And then, uh, I would collect them and openly hold them. And then I would ask Willis, I say, Willis, there is a box behind you. Will you please turn around and grab the box? And the moment Willis turns to grab the box, everybody in the room, and we were just in a light little library, everybody turns to see that box and I had, while I had these envelopes, your envelopes in this hand, um, I had stuck my hand in my, my pocket and I had seven envelopes, duplicates. And the moment I see everybody turn to get that box, I would just pull them out and stick all of yours in my pocket. And then everybody's attention would come back to me and I would hand you the dummies and then you would put them into the box. And everybody's convinced, everybody's now like, okay, there they all are. He's got the envelopes. Now we all go into the dark room. 
The next thing that I would do, which is actually right out of uh, right out of the techniques of the mediums back then, is they would have their assistant interrupt the session, and then they would have to leave for a moment. And say, I'm so sorry. There's a crisis out front. I I will be right back. My deepest apologies. So what I would do is because we we're going to get a slate message, I would start talking about the slate message we were going to get, and then I would say and. I have forgotten my slates. I am so sorry. Stay where you are. I know it's dark. Just hold your spot. And I would get up, leave the room, rip open. On I would be ripping open. the. I would read the question on the fly, go back to the room where I kept my slates, and I would quickly write down the first thing that came to my mind, put that slate where it needed to be, and then come back in and sit down. And now 15 minutes later, we're going to get that slate message. Mm. And everybody discounts it's a human hack right like you know they talk about if you're a hacker the you know there's like definitely there's like beating code and stuff like that but the best hacks are the people who um for example your security system here the 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 second time i got in the first time i screwed it up and i ended up dialing somebody in 303 and he's like Mm -hmm. don't worry about i'll let you in so i didn't even have to (laughs) talk him into letting me beat your security (laughs) he beat the security for me the second time the second time somebody was coming out of the garage they gave me a big friendly wave and i was like open garage door rather than buzz him. I'm just going to run in. So I just ran in, beat the security again. Um, that's the best kind of hack is the human hack. And so what I was doing in that moment is making myself look like the idiot. So everybody wants to forgive that anywhere. They're like, no, no, it's okay. We know you're not very good at this. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and then that lets me go and read your question that you don't know have. And yeah, then suddenly, yeah, yeah. suddenly then, and then if I were to have played that as real, and I'm like telling you, like, you're going to get a message from this person. I have given them enough evidence and done it well enough that if I was not going to, if I was going to be a, can we swear on this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If I was going to be a dick, um, <laughs> I absolutely could be taking money from vulnerable people uh, yeah, who yeah, are yeah. Uh, grieving, who, you know, believe that believe that the world is bigger than we know and understand mm-hmm. and we don't know if it is or not but the point is i can make money off that yeah. you know yeah. i can be a dick <laughs> so. is, and, and that's the stuff that you were studying was people who were committing those acts right yeah which is why houdini fucking hated them uh, uh yeah. one of houdini's best friends was the uh, sir arthur conan doyle who wrote sherlock holmes and his wife uh, conan doyle's wife believed that not only believed in mediumship she also presented herself as a medium and she gave houdini a reading and pretended to be houdini's mom and actually it ended their friendship because uh houdini's she gave the reading like all the information that she said i'm now your mom you know and this is what she's saying came out in english and houdini's like my mom only spoke german Mm. so Mm. they uh and then that's when he started bringing that into his show, and he basically went on a rampage, um, exposing the techniques of all the. Me- they kind of used to let him just sort of do their thing, be like, "Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, it's not for me." But then basically, the magicians at that point, of course, once Houdini did it, he is still. I mean, people, you can still say Houdini. It's so crazy, and people know yeah. that he's mm-hmm. still the, one of the most influential magicians, entertainers of all time. But so they went on a rampage, and they're like, "No, this is how they're doing it." It's really simple techniques. Um, if if you ever write anything down, regardless of the circumstances, if somebody tells you what you're thinking, like m- read your mind and you wrote it down, even if you kept it on you, or it just seems like we know we we if mm-hmm. if it hits the paper, if it hits the paper, we have it. Yeah. Mm. Sure. Yeah, I can't stand that old mentalist trick where it's like one of them reads something and the other person has to guess what it is and that trick one america's got talent one year and i was so mad where it's just like can you tell me what is on this driver's license and it's like one of the oldest it's like the game black magic if you ever played that when you were a kid where like you say a black item before the thing it really is and like everyone tries to guess how they keep guessing what you're thinking of and like it's literally that trick but they won a million dollars for it. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like you're you're torn about it because it's so stinking simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yet if you totally don't know, like you said, yeah, too. if you don't know. Now, they, they wouldn't have been foolers on Fool Us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, they yeah. probably wouldn't even have gotten on the show. Yeah, exactly. But they, exactly. Won and won the, they went and won the million on America's Got yep, Talent. Exactly. All right. Welcome to the Triple Falls Ad Read. We have a couple announcements for y'all this week. 
One thing we are very pleased to finally announce is that we are going to be helping out with this year's premier manifest event, which is a collaboration between the Makado Revitalization Project and MWAC. It's going to be the arts fair basically happening under the bridge. Uh, there's going to be a silent art auction. And there is also going to be live music throughout the day happening on May 13th, 2023. There'll be classes, food trucks, vendors, all kinds of stuff. Definitely get over to the Manifest page on Instagram and there, which is Manifest underscore Mankato and the Manifest event page on Facebook. We're really excited to be there and we're going to be working with them pretty closely. So keep your eyes peeled. Grum. Yes, uh, Quick Wits is out right now, episode one and two, featuring Dan Bakula and Michelle Roach already out. And if you tune in this Friday on the 17th, you can catch Michael Callahan's episode, our guest today on the podcast. Also, if you hop on our Ticket Leap or on the Facebook event, you can grab tickets for the next shooting of Quick Wits, which will be on April 7th at the VFW here in Mankato. Very excited for all that. And uh, last but not least, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to hire us for your next event or project, you can uh, reach out to us at hello at triplefalls.org or just shoot us a call, give us a text at 507-204-3795. Back to the episode. Sounds like from what I've gathered from you talking about your act thus far is that the tricks, it's the entertainment that sells the trick for the most part. Because mm -hmm. even with you saying that there's only seven or eight different kinds of tricks, it seems like you build that into some kind of larger convincing act. And that's what deliberates any magician's act from another. Am I kind of going in the right direction? You are 100% in the right direction. In fact, right now, one of the issues that I have with my show, my show right now is I'm as happy with it as I've been ever. Um, I'm, I'm really happy with where the show is, which has not been the case for 25 years. And even with that, the thing that makes me uncomfortable is if you see my entire show and you are thinking about it afterwards... Which you're probably not. <laughs> but let's just say you were. Um, you, would, you would see a pattern, which was, uh, oh, the first one, the first one, it was a card trick. But what really happened was a little chunk of that card ended up somewhere impossible. All right. Okay, the very last trick of the show. All right, it was, there was money, so it was totally different than the first trick. Wait, that little chunk of money ended up somewhere impossible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, in the middle of the show, after he took his wedding ring off and did the cups and balls, and then he slingshotted his wedding ring into that lime, that little something ended up in somewhere impossible. <laughs> and so, like, there is a classic plot in magic called... You guessed it, object to impossible location. Whoa. <laughs> and unfortunately for me right now, as happy as I am with the show, um, if you really think about what I did, like it's, you know, in first pass, you're like, yeah, there was a lot of variety, different objects, card tricks for sure, but not too many card tricks. Uh, but then when you think about it, like, yeah, he just kind of did the same trick over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it feels very different. It feels very different. The premises are very different. The motivation is very different. Like the opening trick, um, the motivation, which I'm very proud of, uh, is that I, I do, I come out and I do a card trick. I do some opening jokes to establish myself. And, you know, those opening jokes, you guys, you guys are, you guys are seeing stage time and getting stage time. Um, you probably, you probably has, it, you're probably figuring out that your first 20 seconds is vital. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, and your first two sentences, your first two or three sentences, whew, so important. Yep. Um, even though, even though I know interpersonally, like if I meet you, if I've never met you before, I know that I don't come across as cold and weird. Mm. Um, I do know through experience that there's something about me on stage that I immediately do not win the audience over based on how I look mm. and how I sound. Mm. And so I have to be very meticulous and very consistent in my opening so that I can gain the trust of the audience yeah. uh, and get them to start to like me and then build momentum into the point where actually, actually 
I wasn't so sure when this guy went up on stage. Kind of looked like a tool. Yeah, yeah. But now I kind of like him. Yeah. Well, hey, wait a minute. We're having a good time. I do. Yeah. That squeaky little voice isn't that bad after all. <laughs> so my first trick, the premise, so I come out, do my opening bits, my opening lines, build some character, let people see my perspective and, and kind of get a sense of who I am and why I'm there. And then I do a card trick. And it's a decent card trick. It's a pretty good card trick, actually. Um, not surprising, a card ends up in, a, in, a, <laughs> in an impossible location. Uh, and then, um, and then, what I where I, where the show really starts to become my show is uh, I explain that I did that for a bunch of second graders in St. Peter, and all they were supposed to do was write me write me notes of thanks. They're supposed to write me thank you notes, and I got seventeen notes of thank you, and I got three letters of critique. Yes. <laughs> and then I have those three letters and I read them word for word and they are comic gold. Yeah. They, and they each have their own. One girl's like, listen, man, I don't, th I think the three of hearts was already in the box, Whoa. but I still like it. Smiley face, right? Like she like, she softened it up. You know, she's like, I still, I still, you know, I don't want to hurt your feelings, Mr. Callahan, but I'm pretty sure the box already had the card in it. Uh, this other, this, this other kid goes on this incredible, this incredible diatribe. He's convinced there's magnetic doors and there's duplicates. And then at the end though at the end swear to god he says he does this whole explanation as to how it happened and he says p.s i don't know how you did it it's <laughs> brilliant and then uh and then uh this kid cole he wrote this whole thing about how there should be teddy bears and balloons and he drew pictures mm. and so he's telling me that the whole thing lacks pizzazz right yeah. it lacks showmanship so then now now we have something I showed you a card trick that by all means is a very good, professional, passable card trick. Yes. And then these kids were like, fuck you, man. I could have been better. <laughs> right? First of all, right? I'm not buying it. You know, it could have been, you could have, how many, I don't know how many three hearts you have. You probably have 400 three hearts. I don't know, man. So then, uh, then now, now we sign, like now I write something on the card and then we tear a little piece off. And then now the little, instead of a little box, I take up my tabletop and there's a big box and, and a, <laughs> one of those like flappy guys comes out and there's a balloon and there's a blow dart gun and it just like, it's all in, so now we have plot right like yeah, now yeah. we're doing the exact same trick i'm gonna take a piece of card and i'm gonna put it somewhere impossible but now now we're responding to these these kids um and then and and then i don't show the audience so the person who's helping me they get to see what i wrote on the card and then at the very end at the very end we get out we get out the card and this is what i'm most proud of because it's essentially just a signed card you've seen people sign a card but it's not a signed card we wrote something but they're like what did he write on it so the very last piece of the trick is i put the corner together and i say to them do you want to read it or do you want me to read it and you know it's a 50 50 sometimes they want to say it sometimes they let me read it. and the card says dear sophia colin parker piss off <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's great because the last thing like it all makes sense the little tiny piece of the card we've done the magic and i get to give them the finger yeah right yeah, yeah, yeah. and when i started doing that trick i used to say dear sophia cole and parker fuck off uh. then i started doing cleaner gigs and i was like well i can't say fuck off and i tried i was like well i'll say eat it i was like and then finally i found i finally landed on piss off yeah, yeah. and piss off because they are kids even now, if I'm doing a dirty show, it's better than fuck off. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, fuck yeah. off is just a little bit too hard. Yeah, yeah. Right? But piss off is perfect. So that's kind of an example. Like it's, it's like you said, I mean, you learn the, the card trick is, is take a card. The card's over here. Great job. But the mountain you climb to make people give a crap to, to validate hiring you, right? I mean, it's, it's not like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not in a place where my career where, where people are like, oh shit, Callahan's doing a show, we gotta get tickets, right? And I don't think it's because I'm not lucky. I actually don't think it's because as happy as I am with the show, I don't think the show's good enough. If you, seem, if you saw that whole show, if you saw the bit, you would enjoy it. I am confident you would enjoy it. I don't think that you would be like, if, if you saw it, and you saw it, Jacob. I don't know if you'd be like, not only was that great, we're going back tomorrow and we're bringing four friends. Mm -hmm. And I'm just being honest. You know what I mean? Like there is the difference between being a professional and then 
putting something into the world that your art gets so strong and compelling that people were like, okay, not only did I enjoy that, mm. I'm now going to advocate for it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And then that's how, you know, that's how you become huge. You know, that probably has a little bit to do with the little bit of the magic renaissance that you were talking about earlier, where we have this exposure to all these very high-profile tricks and stuff through our, our phones, tablets, computers, and all those things. But we're also able to get smarter. Like, I, I think the the way that we analyze anything and the level of doubt that we bring to any situation in this era is so much higher. So when someone surprises me with a cute little lie, I'm, I'm you know, I'm mm-hmm. delighted. <laughs> yeah, I think it's kind of cool, too, because, like... It's been it now in this time. I feel like so much is out for magic that it kind of has to turn around and go back to the beginning and like rework all these tricks everyone's been doing forever, like a coin mech tricks or ball and cup. Like I uh, to bring up AGT again. I saw Coin Matrix recently where I had no idea how he was doing any of it, and it's a trick I've done, watched, and watch tutorials on probably a hundred times you know so it's cool to see i I think that's what's something that's really interesting when i watch magic conventions and stuff like that is it's a lot of reinventing old stuff absolutely it's so much it's interesting how many okay so like i mentioned i mentioned i have 400 books tip of the iceberg and those books are like most of them average around 200 pages between 100 and 200 pages. And they're just filled with so much magic information. And yet when you start to work and you start to show things to audiences, you realize how much of it, is it magic? Yes. Like there's a trick, there's a secret, there's a, there's an effect, there's a plot. Hmm. But there's a reason that we as a profession keep coming back to this same much smaller group of things. Yeah, yeah. And there's something, I guess the word is quintessential about those. They, the others lack quintessence, right? Like yeah, they just yeah. lack, they lack that thing that makes more people care and more people react yeah, to yeah. them. Hmm. Matrix. Totally agree. Matrix. What is, um, what, earlier in the show, you, you said that you said something about Michael Jackson holding a magic patent and he was the only non-magician to do so. One, is, is there something that is different? Like, is that they, if you say this is a magic patent, well, they'd be like, it's secret now, so you can maintain the trick. And two, um, when you're going into writing a new bit or trick, what, what's, your, what's your motivation generally? Like, mm-hmm. like what, what sparks that? Uh, uh, yes, Man, I really like both those questions. Uh, the first question regarding the patent is by patenting a magic trick or how a trick works, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like your patent, because you can go and look at the patent. Oh, okay. It's so on record. Yeah. But he felt like, so some feel like it's enough of a, that it is patentable and that so few people will go look but the people who will look, other magicians, you don't want them to be able to, to use it, I think. I don't have a real strong understanding about patent magic, <laughs> patented magic, <laughs> patentable magic, but um, I, I know that he did file a, a patent on the shoe with the groove that interlocks with the bolt, mm-hmm. and that's what makes that work. Yeah. Um, the other question is... Is is basically you've asked me, you kind of asked me for my answer to life, the universe, and everything. Yeah, it was it was a, a basic <laughs> for the for the for the Douglas Adam fans in the room, and the answer is forty two. Yeah. But yes. if we were to pick that apart um, and go deeper than forty two, I okay. So, like I said, I'm really happy with what the show is right now. And to a large degree, the way that the show is now is that I started doing mentalism. Mentalism was the first thing I had any real success really fooling people with. And then I was also doing stand-up comedy. And then what started to happen was I was starting to put the stand-up comedy, the, the act that I was building in the clubs 
uh, which, you know, like comedy club grade funny stuff, like that's so, it's so good. It's so valuable. Like it's, you literally turn thoughts into money. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. So I had this 40 minutes of honed tight stuff that I knew worked and I was working it. I was dovetailing it into these four mentalism tricks. And so it was like, I would open with five minutes of comedy. Then I would do this very basic mentalism trick. I mean, great, but very simple. Then I would do like 10 more minutes of personal comedy. And my comedy is very, 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 um, confessional and storytelling. Uh, I, I do write jokes, but like most of it is narrative. So I'm building narrative and character. So I would talk about me and my family and my friends, and then I would do a mentalism and then I would do a more jokes and then I would do another mentalism trick. And then the last bit, the way the show ended was those two things came together where the trick, the mind reading and the stories became the same. It was a really good show. It got me working. Like it became, that's how I became a professional. And I remember coming home to my wife after I think I'd been doing that show for two years straight. And I said, I don't think I'm ever going to bomb again. Now, of course, literally the next <laughs> weekend I bombed. <laughs> but, but the point was like it had gotten really consistent. And then I was lucky enough to uh, meet my hero, Teller, which is why I even thought about doing magic because I, I saw them when I was in college. Same. Yep. Not in college, but, but yeah, so, Teller is who got me into it. Totally, right? Yep. We, we we have so much more discussion to have, Grom. <laughs> <laughs> off-air off air wine, beers, whatever. Um, <laughs> and he said, my first phone conversation with him, hour long, the hour before he goes on stage when he's sitting in his dressing room, two nights, at, no, it was the night after I met him. So we met him on Thursday night after Mystic Lake. He was going on stage Friday night, and I got to talk to him on the phone that night for an hour, and I was just barraging him with ideas and stuff I was working on, and it was a, it was a, a mentalism routine called roulette, which is basically six guns. One, the audience chooses—I used paintball guns. Um, the audience chooses which one gets emptied, mm. and then the audience also chooses which number of silhouette I have to stand in front of, and then everybody fires, and then I'm in front of the one that's empty. But at the time, I was like, because it's paintball guns, wouldn't it be more, I didn't say it, but wouldn't it be more pen and tellery to do it the opposite way? Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. it should be, they're paintball guns, which is a non-lethal situation. So it yeah. should be all the guns are empty. Yeah, and one is, yeah. Exactly, yeah. right? And then, he, then he's like, what if, and then he's like, well, what if the red showed up on the back of your shirt afterwards? I'm like, whoa, that's fucking weird. You know, and then so, but his point to me was, don't pigeon your whole, don't pigeonhole yourself into mentalism. It's clear that you love magic enough that don't just don't let all that go. Because yeah. all I was doing was mentalism at that point. Mm. So then I started my creative process became keep my eyes open for stuff I found in the world and then ask myself if I could put it in the show. And an example of that is my opening routine right now. I call it Flappy Guy. And that's where the little kids write the letters. And that big flappy guy comes out of the box, but it didn't start with flappy guy in the box. I was grocery shopping at Hy-Vee and on one of the little things, you know, they have the, they have the stuff that just hangs in the aisle. Mm -hmm. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's like a fly swatter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was a balloon propeller. Have you ever seen a balloon propeller? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're talking totally. about. Totally. You blow up a balloon and then you stick it on the end of this propeller and you let it go and it makes this horrible sound. It's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. And it, but it, the, plus like a vibrating, the, <laughs> the air goes out the propeller wings and the balloon can go as high as like 25 feet up in the air. Yeah, so I bought this thing for two bucks and I brought it home. I was like, I don't even know what this is. I'm blow it up, let it go. <laughs> and the, and the media, I was like, don't know how, but that has to be in the show. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was my process for a long time. Now, ultimately, so it used to be when I opened that red box after responding to the letter of the kids. Yeah. That balloon, and I've got, I've actually got a great clip I should share with you guys. You could link it to this thing. Yeah. It, you, you don't understand how we got there. It's just a moment of the show when the balloon used to come out of the box. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Audience, audience goes crazy. It's great. But <laughs> so that used to be, I would open the, and then the, and then inside the balloon would be the piece of card. It was great because I'd pick it up and I would approach you, Jacob, and I'd be like, I'm like, you're like, feel, I'd be searching for a word. I'd be like, it's now a deflated balloon. Or I'd be like, feel 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 the sack yeah. right and just even the is oh, so good um <laughs> you yeah right no i know and then <laughs> and, and so anyway long story short uh 
they don't make balloons. The five inch balloons aren't made well enough anymore to power that. And two years ago, it was not, it was starting to not come out of the box consistently. It would either like just deflate in the box. And I have this very elaborate contraption that I built that was, it would release a string. There was a little, little pressure mechanism that would drop, which would really, there's a tube. <laughs> it was very, I bought a riveter. I bought a riveter and 10 people like it didn't work. I put work in and, um, and so I've, I finally had to, I, I finally said, okay, this weekend I've got a, sh I've, I was like, I got a show coming up on Saturday. And I think it was like a Thursday. And I basically said, you've got two days. And if you can't get this thing to come out of the box, firing it like 19 out of 20 times, you need to just give up on it, which was heartbreaking. Um, and I couldn't, not only could I not get it to come out 19 out of 20, essentially I couldn't get it ever to come out of the box. Right. And it certainly couldn't sit right. Like it couldn't sit pre-show. So I had had that, I had had that flappy guy because my creative process had become, if you see something and you react to it emotionally or with curiosity, can you, can you afford it? And can you put it in the show? And so, um, I had seen one of those air dancers and I got to admit, I, I, I I'm going to say like, I was so far ahead of the curve. Those things are everywhere now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I know now what sucks is when mine shows up in the show, everybody's like, Oh, he's yeah. He's, you know, they're everywhere. He went and bought one. No, I had mine. I saw green day when, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. I bought flappy guy way before. So you all are following my lead mother, <laughs> motherfuckers. But so anyway, I had flappy guy and I was using him as part of a prediction uh, triple prediction. So he would come out and he had a little sack and there's a little ping pong ball with a number and all this stuff. And so I was like, well, this trick is better than that trick. And so flappy guy went in the box. Mm. Um, the shredder, uh, I started, that was the one you guys saw me do, uh, that I bought the shredder because I had to shred some papers. And when I use it, I had not used a shredder in my entire life. And I, this must've been like seven or eight years ago. I was like, it was so visceral, mm. like a shredder. If, I mean, if you, have, if you, if you shred, you know, whatever. Yeah. We shred. We shred. You shred. I know you, you guys are shred. <laughs> um, but if you don't shred like me, <laughs> um, the shredding is impressive. And yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. and I was like, the first time it went, it was like, it was just so, it was so much. Yep. And my, my little antennas went off and they were like, you got to get a shredder in the show. So I, it started as this thing that I called Dino. It was Dino Selfie Shredder. And the original premise of the trick was that it was all the, it was the three things that my four-year-old at the time loved the most. She loved dinosaurs. She loved taking selfies and she loved when daddy shredded. And so I would have somebody take a card and then I would like, I didn't want to embarrass you. So I'll be like, you're going to draw a dinosaur, okay? But I'm not going to embarrass you, so I'm just going to hold the card face down. You're going to take the pen and like just draw draw a dinosaur. So then they draw a dinosaur, and then we'd look at it. It was like, that's pretty bad, but it's no big deal. It's yeah, pretty yeah. great. It's great how bad it is. Yeah. And then we would hold the card, and we're like, you're going to want to make sure that this, we're going to want to make sure that this is actually the card in a moment. So we would take a selfie, Yeah. and then yeah. I'd throw it in the shredder, and we'd take apart the shredder, and then inside the shredder, sure enough, dino card. Yeah, yeah. Totally back. So that's how that trick started, only because I wanted to have a shredder in the show. <laughs> then somewhere along the line, I don't know, I was messing with the shredder, and I was like, oh my God, that's not, like, that's snow. And then I was like, okay, well, if that's snow, okay, we should put a tree under there. Why would we? And then I was like, okay, well, bang, and I read magic books, 400 magic books. I was like, oh, there's that trick where you take money, and... And instead of, usually you light it on fire. Bank night is usually done by lighting on fire, which mm. nowadays nobody uses fire in the show because it's really hard for most venues to support you using fire. Mm. So I was like, well, who needs fire when you have a shredder? And so this is why I like your question so much because it really gets to the point of all of this, which is when you see somebody's finished piece, even me to this day, like when I, and when I get to talk to Teller, I'm always astounded when he walks me through, um, how the journey that an idea goes on before it becomes the thing that we all fall in love with. We talked about goldfish. This is yeah. such a great circle that we're winding around. We, I know for a fact that goldfish as we see it and love it did not start as that. Yeah, it yeah. started with Michael Jackson's lean and producing fish at the end. Yeah, then yeah. he also wanted to work on Miser's great dream. Why? Cause Miser's dream is a classic yeah, yeah, because yeah. even though there's thousands and thousands and thousands of magic tricks, you got to come back to the stuff that we all know is great. Yeah. And then you try to put your personal artistic take on it. Mm -hmm. So 
that's that's kind of the name of the game, man. As I try to I try to see stuff, I would try to see stuff that that is just like you know we all walk around. It's so easy to have your blinders on and not be in the moment and awake to the world around you, and to remind myself, you know, get your head out of the clouds and you know look around and see how fucking great all this stuff is. Like this stuff, I'm like. Mm. I'm like, I don't know how to get this in the show. <laughs> there should be, there should be that camera in the show. That's a great camera. How, do, how, do, how much does magic impact your day to day life? I mean, uh, it has to. I mean, um, you're obviously, you're sneaking in the building, and yeah, you know, yeah, for sure, yeah, for sure. Well, day to day, day to day, I will say that in our current, in our society's current. Um, susceptibility to bad information and misinformation because most of the magic books I read were written in the thirties and the forties. There's still a real heavy, heavy um, cultural carryover over from the age of enlightenment at the turn of this last century. Right. And I, it drives me crazy to watch us have to relitigate all of these things that we had figured out a hundred years ago. Mm. You know, it just makes, makes me insane to watch all of the same, abuses in rhetoric abuses in logic so there's that whole side of it uh and then the other side of it has a uh, affect my daily day-to-day day -day life is mostly after doing it for this long and being where i'm at it's constantly reevaluating where i am and where i want to go with it and every year that goes by you know when i was young and i the reason i was like oh i want to i want to be pen and teller that's what i want to do and not having any idea what that even means and not even understanding you could be a, a professional magician without becoming that rarefied talent, you know, that rarefied. Yeah. And so then, you know, then maturing and getting older and realizing, oh, you know, you, you know, you're not going to be famous, right? Oh, so what does that mean? Like, cause that, that was the original really like when I was 22, like I really wanted to be famous, you know, I was like, I wanted to be playing theaters of 3000 people and have that be the thing. And then, yeah. and then you get to, you know, then you get to 27, 28, 29 and you realize you, you really are starting to see what it takes and how that all has to line up. and and it's not that you're, you know, but then also being with that education of realizing you're not going to be famous, also realizing that you can be a professional um, and you can get work and you can do the work. And then it's a matter of how much do you love it? And for me, I think it was my third year I was doing close-up magic. I got myself a Friday and Saturday night gig at a really nice restaurant in Longmont, Colorado. And I would do three-hour sets doing card tricks around the tables. And then that summer I also was working ride lines at Six Flags doing five hour shifts of magic. So I was doing I was I was working as a professional magician. It's all it's the only way I made money. And but I was like, but you're not, you know, you're not doing you're not doing theaters of 3000 people and you're not doing stage magic and you're not that funny. Like you're doing good magic tricks, but mm -hmm. you're not doing anything that matters. Nothing's funny, nothing's interesting. And so I decided to quit. I was driving home to see my girlfriend, wife now, um, which was a three-hour drive. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. Fuck it. I quit. And then I was like, okay, no, that's cool. You, that's good. And then 15 minutes later, I was thinking about magic again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I put a pin in that moment. And it yep. was like, it was really great because I really had dumped that shit. I dumped that bitch. Yep. I had dumped magic. Magic and me were over. And yeah. then you know what? Hey, baby. <laughs> I'm sorry about all those things I said about yeah. you. Like, we can make this work. And so then that was very liberating for me um, because then I knew that I really did love thinking about it. Of course, I wanted to, of course, I wanted people to watch and I wanted people to care and I wanted to make money at it. But the truth is, is I, I just like to do it. Mm -hmm. Just like it. Well, uh, I was actually just about to say, we. Hey, would love to talk for probably an hour longer to be honest i but, would too yeah but where uh, can people find michael callahan and uh where do you want to point people for booking viewing what have you perfect um i'm on instagram at sneaky.productions and i put up pictures of my art and my magic and just all the my gardening anything that i like food um so there's that. Uh, I'm back on... I never left Twitter. I just kind of... I took a break when Elon broke it, um, when it was really, really hard and, and it had changed. I couldn't read the people I wanted to read, but I can be found on Twitter, at M. Callahan. I was an early adapter, so I have a very clean Twitter handle, <laughs> at M. Callahan. That's it. Uh, and then other than that, 
mjcallahan.com. You can buy tickets to shows that I do, and you can buy um, original art when it's up. I'm very proud to say that that stuff goes pretty fast, but there's still prints. So at mjcallahan.com, at mcallahan on Twitter, and sneaky.productions on Instagram. You guys are really, uh, I want to thank you for, so part of part of me doing magic and comedy in this area is I have watched for 15 years, nobody get any traction. And I mm. want to congratulate and thank you guys for stepping in and building this scene with Dan and doing what you're doing. And I want to say for the first time since I've been down here, uh, you guys have traction and it is such a gift to, to be given to people that we can show up at your open mics and show up at the stuff you do. And so I, I I'm just, I'm going to leave with a, with a big virtual hug and a lot of gratitude and say that triple falls. I'm a big fan and keep going guys. If you ever need anything, let me know. Thank you. Heck yeah. Thank Thank you. you. Okay. I'm going to go get my kid. Bye. (laughs) Bye.